Okay. Can you guys hear me now? Duh. Okay. I fixed the volume. I'm back. So tonight we're talking about, somebody give me a thumbs up that they can hear me. I'm sorry about that. I hit the dang mute button. I'm human. So if you're ever questioning if this is live, you know it's live. So um, tonight we're talking about the secret sales strategies that has made a tremendous difference in my wholesaling career. In fact, tonight I'm just going to share with you the stuff that has really put me over the top. And I'm going to share my 20 years experience doing thousands of transactions, tens of thousands of appointments, the stuff that actually works. Why do I know it works? Because I've got a ton of experience in doing it and you guys need to, to implement these strategies. So I'm gonna take the first 25 minutes and go through that. And then if you hop on a one-on-one, -on -one, just wait your turn. There is a link in the top of the comment section. Okay. Um, it says join here. You can click there and just wait patiently your turn. It's a first come first serve basis. I go as long as I have questions on the stream. If I don't have questions, we kind of end it. So that's the deal. So the only bad question you ask is the one you didn't ask. And that's it. So do me a favor, use the comment sections to introduce yourself. Tell me what market you guys are from. And honestly, when we open up the Q and a on the mastermind, it's anything you guys want to talk about. So I do the one-on-ones I'll answer questions in the comments and that's it. Let's jump into it. Let's talk about the secret sales strategies, my best sales tactics that has made a tremendous difference. <clears throat> and guys, we are talking specifically about wholesaling. Okay. So I'm going to skip through the stuff you guys already know. Okay. Like one of them, you guys going to say, well, Rick, what about mirroring? We all know mirroring works. I'm not going to talk about that because I'm going to assume it's a given. So a mirroring is when you just duplicate what your seller's doing. I'm going to go into the nitty gritty of the stuff that I see that people make mistakes in every day in wholesaling. And hopefully you can write the ship with them. So let's start with the basics. I tell you what, long weekend guys, let's go. Um, number one. So if we're talking with the seller and this works, if you're virtually doing this or you're doing it in your local market. Okay. One of the biggest ones you guys fail to attack correctly is called name recognition and all name recognition is using somebody's name and acknowledging them, pronouncing it right and repeating it over and over and over. I'm here to tell you, you can't use a seller's name enough in a conversation. Let me repeat that. You cannot use the seller's name enough. If you use it 30 times, use it 35, use it 40 times. Why? Here's the truth of the matter is, People love hearing their names. So I'll like, I'll do a little bit of experiment. I see some people watching online. And if I say Persa, they look up. People love to hear their names. And you are, your nervous system is conditioned when you hear your name, no matter what you're doing, your head snaps up. So knowing that you can get people's attention, you can make them feel special, engage them. And here's the best part about name recognition. It tells you if you're, client, your seller, whatever you want to call them is paying attention to your spiel. So if I use the seller's name and they don't even look up, and acknowledge them, something else is on their mind. And I know I have to stop whatever I'm doing right there and get their focus back. And I will use their name loudly and proudly and draw them back in. So name recognition will do wonders to any conversation you do. If you don't believe me, start with a child. 
You ever notice when a, a parent or an adult is around a child, they use the child's name endlessly. Why? Because that's the only way you can keep the kids focused. So since I'm a self-proclaimed uh, ADHD uh, violator, um, I constantly get used on this by my, my wife, my kids, my son, and it gets my attention and draws me back in. So guys, name recognition. I'm telling you right now, if you use a seller's name 50 times in a conversation, you could still use it more. You can never overuse someone's name. The only time this backfires if you mispronounce the name. And if you're not sure about the name, just ask permission. Hey, Mr. Sal, how do I pronounce your name? I don't want to butcher it. And just ask. Once you get it, burn it in your brain and keep going with it. Now, this works equally effective on the phone as it does in person. It is everything. People are so tuned into your name. I'm telling you, I do this experiment on a daily basis. Use people's names and watch what happens. You can take this a little bit further. Next time you go to the cashier at the grocery store, usually the cashier as well in my town, they have their name tag on it. Use their name. Watch how many more smiles you get, the better service you get. People freaking love it. And here's the really cool part. It doesn't cost you any more money and it actually is going to get you a better wholesale deal. So I would definitely jump on it and use it. I forgot to put it up there. Name recognition, man, I'm telling you. If you just took this method out of this conversation today, it will change your wholesaling game. I'm telling you, we do not use the seller's names enough. And for that reason, people don't feel like they're connected to you and you want to use it. It is a great skill. So many techniques and name recognition. You can go from there. So while we're going to it, dealing with sales secrets, you've got to use the 80-20 rule. And this, I'm going to be honest with you, is going to take some practice on your side. See, because here's the key. You are the 20. You are the 20. You're not the 80, okay? And what do I mean by that? When you're having a conversation with someone, you should only doing 20% of the talking. And your 20% of the talking is based on qualifying questions and rapport building. That's it. You cannot go off on tangents and dominate the conversation. How do you know when it's not going well? When you think you're talking too much, you've got a problem. See, when you go see a seller, the name of the game is to get as much intel from your seller and the property is humanly possible. If you talk and dominate the conversation, you can't get that information and you are going to get killed in wholesaling if you do not follow this rule. Now, I'll be honest, when I first started out, I was like a 60-40 kind of guy. I was the 60 and it probably took me about six to months to a year to adjust it. And then eventually I went 70-30 and then I go to 80-20, okay? And now I'm pouring like 85-15. The more you can let your sellers talk and tell you what's going on, the more qualifying information you get and the better the deal you can put forward. The better your rapport will be and probably most likely the better the deal you're going to get. So God gave us two ears, one mouth. We have to take the cues what God already gave us and not reinvent the wheel here. If you find yourself talking too much, I want you to slow down, ask open-ended questions to your sellers, and go on pause for like five or 10 minutes. And remember, you are there for your seller. You're there to solve a problem with their needs. You already know what you want to do. So the purpose of doing your virtual appointment, your physical appointment is to draw as much information from your seller as possible. You can't do it if you're running your mouth the entire time. 
And number two, a lot of times when you just start out, this is just the truth. Don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger is because you're nervous and you're new to this business, you tend to over talk and you think that's helping you. And inside it's like mentally helping you out, but it's screwing the deal up. So shut your mouth, two ears, one mouth. If you use this 80, 20 rule, it will be a lifesaver to your closing ratio. Watch what happens. It's unbelievable. And the funny thing you go, well, Rick, what if I'm not talking and they're not talking? Your job is to get them talking. But honestly, I'd rather have wild, awkward silence than me running my yap the entire time. The more silent, sometimes you make the conversation. A lot of times you can pull out the motivation a little bit easier. Okay. So stop trying to constantly fish for the motivation. Let your sellers talk and you'll be shocked of the four qualifying questions we go through. They'll probably spit out 80% of it before you even ask in a regular conversation. So we talk about scripts, the conversation, which I'm not putting into this one, which is a given 80, 20 guys, it's huge. Okay. My third one, which I know this is obvious, but it's often overlooked, especially in today's world authenticity, meaning like be yourself, be a human being. Don't be like this Tom Cruise, like robot salesperson. People, it's just not normal. Everyone's got something going on in their life, including you and me. And our sellers are no different. Don't seem so perfect that you scare the heck out of your sellers. Be a normal person. I'm not telling you to go tell them your problems. I'm just telling them it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to occasionally cough. I know that that like people freaking out with that stuff these days. It's just, you need to be you. So I don't want you to be me. I don't want you to be Zach. Um, everybody has some sort of superpower God gave them to, and I want you to find out what it is and bring it to light and help people out. So if you're super funny, um, if you're really good at charisma, if you're really good at like talking, connecting to people, like do what you do best. If you're a nurturer, wholesaling is perfect for you in that. So the thing is, so many of us are now trying to duplicate other people in this business. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't work. The minute you can get comfortable in your skin and like working with people, your job becomes much easier. Um, I tried for like a long time to be other people like to try to teach me the business. And I learned I just did better when I was myself. So if you guys just accept that, you are unique. There is nobody else like you. So amplify it, don't mute it and do the right thing and help your sellers out and stop. If you spend your entire time trying to be somebody else, you're not really going to help your seller out. So being authentic, we've been through such a period over the last 20 years where everyone just seems so fake on the internet and like, are you, I'm perfect on this. Just guys pull up, be normal. You don't have to have perfectly dressed hair. You don't have to have the perfect car. Honestly, I never wear a suit. I wear shorts. I wear uh, flip-flops quite commonly. And that's just who I am. And once I accepted it, I never worried about it again. So being authentic and being your real self is something that will more than show up to your sellers and it will make you so much more effective with them. Okay, let's bring up our next one. Conditioning the seller. Probably, I mean, this is critical. If you don't get this part down, you are so far behind the eight ball. So conditioning the seller is basically having a conversation with your seller before you get in any type of sales process, before you even get into the rapport building or anything. So 
you can do this on the phone virtually, or you can do this physically on your appointment. So once you've decided to move forward with the property, meaning it's in your ballpark and you just got to verify the condition and some numbers. When I go to the property, this is simply how I do it. And this is a technique I came up with. And then I taught all my acquisitions people to do it. So we call it the conditioning of the seller. So it simply says, Mr. Seller, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Thank you so much. We're going to take about an hour and I'm going to be able to look through the house and you're going to show me around and I'll get to know a lot more about your house and I'll also get to know you in the process. And by the time we're all done, I'll have plenty of information and I want to help you out to the best of my ability. But at the end of the conversation, you'll, you'll, you'll be put in a position to say, Hey, listen, Rick, I really like you. Yes. I want to move forward. I want to work with you. It's a hundred percent. Yes. Or Rick, I didn't like what you presented. I don't like what you, what you're saying. And it's a no, and I can't do it at this time, but either way, you'll have a decision to make yes or no. Can I get your commitment that I can get that definitive answer from you at the end of this conversation and just shut up and look them in the eye and they've got to say yes or no. If they don't say yes or no, go right back through the preconditioning. Okay. What you're trying to do is pre-set up to where if you get stuck in the maybe zone or what I call the friend zone, that you can rely on these statements to push them to give you an answer. I have found with sellers, if you do not do the preconditioning more than half the time, probably closer to 60 to 70%, you're going to wind up in the maybe zone, the let me think about it zone, also AKA the friend zone. You don't want to be there. So a preemptive strike with every seller you deal with, if you do the preconditioning, say, listen, at the end of the conversation, you have a decision, say, yes, I want to work with Rick or no, I want to move on. It doesn't work for me. I'm fine with either answer. I just need a definitive answer. Can we agree on that? And just look at them and make sure you get a solid head shake or a yes or a no. Okay. By setting up that conversation, when you get to the end of your presentation and they go, I don't know, Rick, I got to think about it. That's when I go, Hey Jim, remember before I sat down and met with you, I believe we struck an agreement, right? You said you would make a decision. Yes. You want to work with me or no, you would move on. Okay. I don't know how to deal with a maybe a maybe is pretty much a solid no to me. And wh what questions can I help you over? What, what's, what's bothering you to not make you make a decision to move forward or simply say no. And then I want to go back and find the problems where, what they're struggling with it. Maybe it could be price. It could be the length of time. It could be the deposit. It could be a number of things, but Without that preconditioning statement, it's torture, guys. It's torture. And for years and years, I get, I kept getting caught in the maybe in the friend zone. And uh, I just decided I can't take it anymore. So we tried probably 10 different variations and we came up with the yes or no one. I'm telling you, it pretty much wipes it out. You still get a few. But if you do not do the preemptive strike on the conditioning, you will be stuck more than half the time, probably 60% of the time. So some people do need time to make a decision. The, the preconditioning just allows you to hopefully walk out with a definitive yes or no. And then if they, they go in the maybe zone, then you're going to force them to pinpoint what the problem is. And without that statement, you can't do it. So guys, you got to make sure you do that. Okay. The next one. The volley method. And you guys have heard this one um, before. 
So um, when we talk about the volley method, this is something I, I've worked with for a long time. And this took me about, about two, two and a half years to figure this one out. And this is when your seller just gets completely stuck and they will not give you an answer on price or, um, and they just keep saying, well, so obviously we always want to ask our sellers, you know, what do you need to get out of this property? When now, when they can't give us a number, we got a choice. You can just sit there, you can write a contract. Like, what do you do? So what I do is use the volley method. And for those of you that are brand new to sales and especially working with wholesaling, if you're ever struggling with words to talk to a seller, especially countering back, nine times out of 10, all you have to do is repeat what they said to you and ask it back to them. It's crazy, but it's better than sitting there going, um, but. So when he says, Rick, how much are you asking? Uh, say, Rick, how much are you going to offer me? Mr. Seller, you know what? That's a great question. How much I'm offering you is a question I get quite a bit. And let me ask you something real quick. And I'm going to fire back to him. So here we get to the volley method. Okay. So you guys all know how volley, uh, think about volleyball. You got to serve it back and forth over the net. So when they serve it, so when we ask the question, hey, Mr. Seller, what do, you, what do you need to get for this property? We serve it over there. The ball comes in. You're expecting them to give you an answer and volley it back. Well, what they do is they just punch the ball back to you and they go, I don't know. Um, I don't know. You're the one, you're the one who reached out to me. What do you think it's worth? Okay. Now remember, I want the answer from the seller. So here's simply what I'm going to do. <clears throat> Mr. Seller, I know you don't know it exactly what it's worth, but if you had to guess, what do you think you need to get for that property? All I did was repeat the same question back and just added a few words on it. And if you keep doing this over and over after two objections, most sellers will give up. Okay. The average American, I'm talking about our American culture. I'm sure it's different in other countries. Most people give up after two objections. So a lot of times they'll say no the first time and then the second one, they'll fight it. And that's it. Okay. Most people do not want to put up overcoming objection at least twice. So you've got to stay in the volleyball game for at least two serves. So the first one is, Mr. Seller, what do you need to get for this property? Rick, I don't know. Mr. Seller, I know you don't know exactly what you need to get, but if you had to guess, what do you think you need to get? And then they might serve it back again. You ready for this? You've got to go back. You're playing volleyball. Serve it back. Mr. Seller, I get it. I get it. I know you're not a real estate agent. I know you're not a real estate investor, but you are a homeowner with a lot of pride in this house. So I won't nail you down to an exact price, but if you had to guess just ballpark, what's the number you and your wife need to get on this property? Okay. That's basically three. Okay. I served it. He kicked it back. I served again. He kicked it back. Okay. You have to overcome the ejection twice and do not worry about repeating the question back to him it buys you time to talk to your clients. It's so much better than just sitting there and go, um, um, just slowly repeat back the words and it'll allow you to think about your head because you don't have to think about the words because they said them, you're just repeating them back. So instead of sitting there for five or 10 seconds, like not knowing what to say, just slowly repeat the question back to them and then add your tailing information on that. Guys, if you'll volley people at least twice, you'll get a lot more contracts a lot more. Most people don't know how to get through this part. Remember, 
whatever you serve, if I ask you a price and I don't get a price back, you got to serve it back until you get a number. Okay. Now I'm warning you, you can wear people out doing this a lot. So be very careful what you're doing with your wife, your girlfriend, your husband, um, kids, man, they can volley. I, I'm going to warn you with kids, they can volley like 30, 40 times. So it doesn't work as well on kids, but sellers, I'm telling you, when you learn the volley method, it induces an answer out of your sellers, even when they don't want to get it. Okay. Every now and then they'll throw up their hands and get frustrated with you, but two volleys and you are in the game on this one. Once I figured out how to do this, I got to tell you, man, I never feared someone like giving me a lame duck answer. Okay. Last one. You ready? Act in the seller's interest, not yours. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, if you think like this as a wholesaler, you'll do so much better. So many wholesalers come out and they just want to discuss what is best for them in this transaction. And if you will go into dealing with sellers thinking, what is in the seller's best interest, not yours? Let me give you a perfect example. Okay. A lot of times we'll have some properties. I mean, the property's perfect. It's retail. Um, I just throw it. We just throw it out. Why don't you just lift the house with a realtor? Like, why am I going to hide that? It's coming out anyways, right? We're not stupid. Okay. Maybe that, maybe it is in their best interest to have it listed with a realtor. Maybe they have a horror story. They want to tell you the realtor. I'd rather just pull it out now and get it done. Maybe you see a perfect house and you go, well, you know what? You won't take my price, but like, maybe we can do a novation. Was well, the novation for you or for the seller? Because they didn't know that idea until you brought it out to them. I, all I'm saying is if you look out for your seller's interest first, your interest will, will be far exceeded in the long run. If you go in this, how can I manipulate this to make me the best wholesaler? You're going to get pissed off sellers. You're going to get people upset. You're going to get people backing out of contract and it gets ugly. Okay. I see a lot of bad wholesalers out there. It's all about manipulation. Hey, I learned this latest new strategy. Let me show my seller. Guys, just cut the crap out. Act in your seller's best interest and you will get exactly what you want. You might not get in this transaction, but over the span of a year, you'll get exactly what you want. Over your entire career, you'll get it. So many wholesalers going like, how can I get the best price for me? I don't care about the seller. You got to care about the seller. Otherwise, you're not going to get good deals. Stop trying to shove sellers in a box so you can maximize your portfolio, so you can maximize your returns. I'm here to tell you, listen what your seller does. If they want to list the property, help them do it. If your company can't do it, refer them to somebody that can help you out. It's good karma. You'll still get paid for it. You'll get a referral fee. And it's the right thing to do. I do a, we deal with so many sellers that you just trying to trick them into buying their house is going to blow up on you in the long run. And I'm here to tell you, look out for your seller's interest, not yours. And it will change how you think about this game. So uh, I got to drink water, dude. Coffee, keep me up all night. So um, guys, that's it. I, those strategies I just shared with you are the stuff that you will not find in any detailed sales plans because they are the stuff that took me 20 years to put me over the entire top. And I'm telling you, if you just use a lot of those strategies, you'll be blown away on how it works. They're really minor, 
but I'm telling you, they are like a sharp surgeon's tool when you are on a sales call for wholesaling specifically. And guys, like think about the name, the 80-20, the volley, doing what's best for your seller. Stuff like this will lead you to the right journey. And remember, you're not going to get every deal, but it works to the core. So, um, so Corey's talking about use the go for the no today and got a great entry price. So I didn't, I didn't do the, um, I didn't do the go for the no because, um, quite frankly, um, that's another discussion with that, but you guys know how I feel about on, uh, on the whole, um, going for the no. So it's, uh, go for the no guys, get the best price you can up front and your life's a lot much, your life's so much easier in wholesaling. So, um, I appreciate you, Steve. What's going on? Um, so I'm going to get ready to jump on the lives. And if you have a question, you can put it in the comment. Seven Way says, I got my first whole deal, wholesale deal coming up, planning on at least 15K. That is awesome. Congrats. Um, that's awesome. So I see some new faces in here. Um, talking. Okay. I see where my volume shut off here. Awesome. Okay. Let me clear my thing off here. I bring a person and let me clear that. Awesome. Okay. First of all, what's going up? The, uh, the probate. Yeah. <laughs> the probate. What's going on? What's the update? Yeah. Um, I actually have a question for you okay. about probates. Um, yeah, so I have been um, pulling court records to kind of find the people who are doing applications for probate of will and issuance of letters of testimony. Um, the another way it's called in the same at the same court has been application for probate of will and issuance of letters testimony with will. Okay. So, so my question is, I'm, I'm pulling these people and I've, I've chatted with you a little bit about strategy. I've done the letters and now I've started to do calling as well. So um, kind of hitting them both ways, like you'd been chatting about doing. And uh, when I get to talking to sellers, what they've been telling me lately is that the courts that I'm dealing with are super backed up. Like they're yeah. four mm. months behind on issuing yeah. letters of testimony. So yeah. am I too early in this process? Am I doing this wrong? <laughs> you, you can never be too early in a probate. So uh, the courts have been really bad for the last two and a half years with obviously everything that's going on. Um, it's really weird in probate because they assign a particular judge. Um, so depending on where you are like in Florida, they rotate. Um, I think it's every two or three years. And when they do the rotation, it's a nightmare. It's like everything backs up three or four months. Cause it's like, I mean, we're talking about the same state and like the, the judges switch counties and like, they act like, okay, this is my first time doing probate. So I don't know why it is, but I will tell you this. Remember, the most important thing is to connect with who in the probate. Who's the most critical person to connect with first? The person that's going to be the personal representative. That's it. So you have to find a way to establish a relationship with them. 
And sometimes I've established the relationship before the courts even appointed them, like the PR, the executor. And I've had them actually sign contracts before they doing that. I know it's not legal, but it is a mental um, acceptance. And then you can go back and have them re-sign it um, when they get the legal authority just to cover your butt. But um, there's nothing like we can't control how the courts and the judges deal with all that stuff. But I'd rather you be early than late because late, then you got to fight through a sea of other wholesalers, other investors, and worst off realtors. Hmm. And it's not that I'm hating on realtors, but like once realtors starts pitching probates, it's all about price and nothing else. They don't, they don't know the condition of the house. They never look at it. They just talk to um, the PR. So I don't know how long the backup's going to be for, but like, here's how I look at it. If you have the first shot at getting it, um, you can have them sign a contract. And then once they get the legal authority and they're court appointed, you can go back and have them sign another contract. By them signing that contract, it prevents anyone else from like coming in. The only person that can be a pain in your butt, I've had lawyers throw like temper tantrums when um, the PR sign it before they have the legal authority. Between you and me, I don't care. Like, so um, I recently, I got a probate thrown out for this. I lost, mm. but it is what it is. Um, it wound up being a pissing war with the, uh, with the attorney. And actually, uh, I don't even know where it wound up. I just, I got out of the contract. It was out of control, but, um, I contested and went to court. They challenged me. I hired a lawyer and went there and he's like, because she signed, um, a month before she didn't have the legal authority to enter into it. And then attorneys got in their head and she's like this and that it was a nightmare. So it is what it is. You're going to lose a few to that, but I'd rather you do that than like, I'm going to tell you the flip side, trying to get it through the lawyer and everything else. It's an absolute nightmare. So, okay. So remember you just, you want to form a relationship with them. And the sooner you can do it without competition, the easier it's going to be. Usually your biggest competition in probate is nine times out of 10. It's the uh, lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so lawyers, if you've ever dealt with a lawyer, they're, they're always super busy. No matter what's going on, they could be fresh out of law school. They're super busy. So everything has to be like a, a seven to 14 day appointment minimum. So if they have a press, so when their clients call them, Hey, can I sign this? Am I allowed to sign this um, contract for my mom's estate? The lawyer usually waits seven to 14 days to contact them back. I don't wait seven to 14 days or anything. I'm like, no, no, you can, you can, they can legally sign it. There's nothing illegal about signing it. Is it, would it stand up in court? Probably not. But like, remember, if that's what they want to do and they wind up being the PR, they're always in control. So that's all I care about. The biggest pain in the butt you have in probates are the lawyers. They, they want to be in full control. And uh, trying to get through the lawyer when you have to get their permission, it's, it's like 50-50 at best. So if you beat the PR to the lawyer, you increase your closing ratio by 50%. So I would say sooner than later. Interesting. It seems like a lot of these people, by the time they're at doing an application for probate, uh -huh. they have a lawyer. Correct. So remember, you have to hire the lawyer for the probate. There's, there's less than 1% of the population does it without a, a lawyer. And then I even dealt with one that recently that did it, uh, what do they call it, pro se or whatever it is, 
without a lawyer and the judge says, I'm not moving forward with it because you don't know what you're doing. So they're all going to hire a lawyer for the case. Okay. What you're trying to do is just get a contract signed that is encompassed within the probate, but a probate is just a legal case to represent the person's interest. Once they're assigned to PR, they like the lawyer does not have to give instructions if they can enter into a legal agreement or not. The purpose of the lawyer to petition to open the probate is so the PR can wrap up the uh, final um, dealings with the family affairs. So some lawyers are good. I'll tell you how to liquidate the, the property, but like, you know, the reality of most lawyers, they don't even tell the people how to sell the property. Now, some lawyers are going to go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get an appraisal. We're going to get a BPO. We're going to list it with this realtor and they're all on board. They've partnered up with all these people and there's nothing you can do. Okay. A lot of lawyers are just independent. They just want to get the probate opened and then they fall asleep for three months. Mm -hmm. That's where you come in. Cause a lot of them will go like this. Well, Rick, you know, maybe I should meet with a lawyer. I go, listen, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to sell your mom's property and you want to limit the expense, why don't we look at the property, see if we can come to an agreement. If we do, you can sign as the PR and then I'll keep it flexible to make sure we get the court order so we can sell the property. She goes, yeah, I do want to sell it. I, and you have to just reassure them. Like the problem is waiting for the lawyer. You know, a lot of lawyers will advise them, do not sell the property until you're cleared out of the probate, which that can be up to a year or two for some people. Mm. You know, you know, you don't have to, I've already proven that one to you. So it's just understand when it comes out, it's, I mean, lawyers, when, so when I make that comment that you need to look out at your seller's best interest, not yours. In most cases, the lawyers do the opposite. It's just the truth. Uh, they yeah. open a probate. <laughs> and when they open the probate, they go to sleep for 90 days. They don't give a crap about their clients most of the time, the ones I deal with. And that's when I go in, I meet the property, I assess it. And more than half the clients go, well, I don't know if I should do this without my attorney. I go, listen, your attorney's there to open your probate to give you the legal authority to enter these agreements. He said, it's up to you what you sell it for. Are you comfortable? Oh yeah, no, I'm comfortable. I just want to make sure it's legal. I tell you what, if it's not legal, I'm the first one to walk away, right? I'm not going to enter something that's not legal with them. If they sign it prematurely, sometimes I take that risk. It's no big deal. Like, and I've had people sign it prematurely before they had the authority. As long as they still want it in the end, they're not going to change their mind. So that's basically what issuance of the letters testamentary is, is assigning the PR, right? Correct. It's just giving the, they, now they have the legal authority to enter into agreements, um, for the deceased person's assets. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people I've talked to are just so much like waiting They They just say, Hey, I don't have these letters yet. I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. But see that you just have to educate them, walk them through because the lawyers, here's that the lawyers never educate them. They just, they tell them yes or no. So, the idea is if they have a piece of real estate, take a look at it, evaluate it, try to meet with them, talk to them on the phone, whatever you need to do. And just start talking. Listen, I can put an offer in there. Um, you know, do you want to go ahead and sign the offer now? That way I can get, at least get all the paperwork started. They go, well, I don't really have the legal authority. I go, I'll tell you, sign it now. And when you have the legal authority, we'll, uh, we'll just have it initialed and re-signed again. 
that way I can go ahead and start the paperwork and get everything ready. And um, you're under no obligation. It's basically how I said, unless you can't make people close, but like I find when people sell me a property that's vacant and probate, once they sign it, nine times out of 10, they're done unless a legal problem comes up. And that's the only ones I've ever had a problem with. So I'd rather you beat them to the punch than sit around and fight everybody else at the end. And so the main thing is, which state are you in again? Which state do you predominantly do? Texas. Okay. So you want to become an expert on how Texas probate works. So number one, read your statutes align. Number two, talk to your title company. And then just figure out from the time someone dies to the time the attorney files the petition, what's the average time and what are the issues that come up with? And then once you understand it, when your sellers come up and give you an objection to it, you can easily handle it like now. And that's how I found out lawyers weren't telling the truth. Oh, you can't. The number one thing is my lawyer told me I can't sell the property till the probate is complete. That's interesting. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, I, I do it all the time. Huh. So I'm not going to discredit the lawyer because they're just going to run back and tell him or her. And then they're going to make sure you never like get a contract with them. And like, so I just tell them you, you can do that. So it's, you know, 3,500 counties. There's a lot of like little nuances. This is the problem with probates. They're not easily to do nationally. So if like you pick, one county, like one market, like you got to master it before you keep adding on to it because it's very um, overwhelming to hear all this different information you have to deal with. And so like yours is probably a local thing where it's backed up. Ours was backed up for a while, but now it's pretty much eased. And the only time we get a backup is when they switch the judges. And, okay. uh, but I mean, I guess you don't have to rush as fast, but it will eventually write itself and I would stay way ahead of it. Okay. I have one other quick question because go ahead. Uh, from your presentation on conditioning the seller, um, if, if we're talking about one of these super drawn out ones where I've, maybe I've been talking to somebody for like two, two or three months uh -huh. and at some point they're ready for an offer, um, but it's all virtual. How do you condition the seller at that point? Um, well, it's, it's going to be a little bit different when you do it um, on the phone. So obviously the perfect world, it's in person. Okay. I get it. Like sometimes that just doesn't work. So the problem is some of you guys talk to your sellers too long because it's, you, you get in this kind of, I hate to use this terminology. It's terrible, but it's like friend zone. You spend too much time becoming buddy, buddy with them. And you never get a finality and a result. And so the problem with the preconditioning is you always have to do it from the very beginning because to try to shove it in like halfway through a negotiation, it doesn't even make sense. Like, think about it. So it would be like playing Monopoly and reading the rules halfway through the game. Like, what do you, what do you mean we can do IOUs? What do you mean I can do all this stuff? It sounds like you're making up your rules as you go. So you got to get in the habit of talking to your sellers within the first phone call or two and doing a preconditioning. You're going to have to vary it up a little bit more over the phone. But basically, Mr. Seller, I'm going to talk to you about your property. I'm going to take some information. I'm going to get to know you and your property. Um, and it might just take a couple phone calls because I got to bounce around. But at the end of our conversation, either today or tomorrow, you're going to be left with the decision to, yes, I, I want to move forward with PERSA or no. 
it's just not a good fit. I, I got to move on. But you got to do something to get it because by doing that preconditioning, you're telling them you're making a bond with your own word. And the reality is nobody wants to be called out publicly for them breaking their own word. Hands down. They hate it. They hate it with a passion. So when you go, well, wait a minute, so you just told me you were going to tell me yes or no. And now you're giving me a maybe. So I, I go, I have to be missing some information. What is it I'm saying that's making you uncomfortable or making you hesitant? And then I'm just going to attack and see if I can find out that problem. If they don't answer it, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to hang on that preconditioning statement until they give me an answer. So that's the problem is you have to do it at some point so you can go back. It is literally like planting a seed or a bomb, right? You, you have to put it there because if they, they don't do it, it's the same as if you were in high school and say you want to ask somebody out to the prom and you just kind of like, now you probably shouldn't be doing this with humans like on a personal level, but you say, listen, in a minute, I'm going to ask you a yes or no question. And either, yes, you want to go with me to the prom or no, you, you don't think I'm good and I'll move on. But either way, I need an answer at the end of the, when I ask you this question. It puts people on the spot. It makes people a little. Now, that would make someone horribly uncomfortable. But when you talk about motivated sellers, a motivated seller has no problem answering that question. Just so you know, every time I've asked that question, I've only had like 10 or 12 people out of thousands, like give me blowback on it. Most people are like, yeah, sure. No problem. Yes. I says, hey, yes. Yeah. So when I go back and I remind them, they know they heard themselves say it. You heard them say it. So they can't really wiggle out of it. They can't lie. So the question is, how do you deal with a seller on a virtual appointment that I didn't go ahead and pre-set up that appointment, correct? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got to do it going forward. Okay. And honestly, it's a little 15 second thing. You just squeeze it in and you just got to kind of let them know. Okay, listen, I'm going to spend some time with you. No matter what, I'm going to help you sell your house. I promise you that but I need a promise from you in return. I'm going to spend some time and learn more about your house and your situation. At the end of it, you're going to decide either we want to work together. It's a definite yes with the person or no, you don't like what I have to say. And we're going to move on and we'll part as friends. Is that fair enough? Boom. If you just practice that every time, matter of fact, next time you come on with me, I want to hear your spiel like down to like, just like I did it like that. It's really that simple. Awesome. You're going to kind of squeeze it in that conversation just like that. Yeah, I guess it's, it's when you do it, you just kind of like, Hey, when they go to the maybe zone, you go, Oh, wait a minute. I got to, no, no, no. We're going to go back there and visit it. You have leverage without it. You just sit there and go crap. I don't know. I hate the maybe zone. I, I tell you, I got tortured in the maybe zone for five years. Oh yeah. God. It's oh. And it's worse now than it's ever been because the lack of education and people out there doing, doing wholesaling. So if you do it physically or you do it virtually, it doesn't matter. If you can preset that up, it puts people on the spot. Nobody likes to be embarrassed. Like nobody wants to be publicly, you're never going to call someone a liar, but they're going to, you're going to insinuate it. And it's like, it just makes them feel, here's the truth. You're guilting them into making an answer. I've had people like sit in the maybe zone and I pressed them so hard. And out of frustration, they'll come out and they go, Rick, I was just using you to get a price out of you. I go, well, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. And then I learned once I started asking that, the maybe zone just, uh, we eliminated 95% of it. So, so, so I think the interesting part for me has been that I'm talking to people who 
are saying they'd be so they're warm calls basically um okay. and so they're not the ones calling me is i'm not getting a lot of calls off the letters so i'm warm calling them i'm connecting with okay. the pr they're telling me yeah yes we're probably going to sell it but we're stuck with this three-month process give me a call later so do i then just hang up write my note no, I'm gonna call just them later. i dig into no, it dig into it okay why do you need to wait three months they tell and me they need to wait for the letters of testimony we could what if i could go ahead and pre-start the paperwork to have everything ready by the time it gets out it's all set and ready to go what if the market changes in three months well, first of all, if you're buying at the right price and wholesaling, it's going to make a very minor difference. Okay? okay. So just so you know, the average real estate right now is dropping less than 1% a month. And it just is now going to its rapid descent. Okay. Remember it held, held together for a year when this all started and now it's just starting to drop. Interest rates are high. You know the story. I don't need to remind you on it. So if it drops 3%, I know you're getting a deeper than a 3% discount. So stop worrying about it. Okay. Number two, you can always write in your contracts. Um, if you have them pre-signed, you can put an addendum in there or just put it in the, uh, the special section. Um, pro uh, uh, confirmation of contract. Uh, there's a, a seven day right to um, review property and contract upon um, court approval of the uh whatever it is the approval of the uh petition or the uh pr that way i've dude i've so in the last 10 years it hasn't been a problem for me because it's always been the opposite you know i i get it under this price sometimes i'd wait a year and the price went so high i'm like well i'm not i've had to renegotiate with a lot of them. but when it's going down you can simply write an addendum um contract a subject to buyer's approval upon consent of the court that way, say if you had to wait a year or two and prices did drop 10 or 15%, you got to go, so listen, I'm still in, but we have to adjust the price. Okay. Most people are pretty reasonable, you know, but like if it drops in like one month, if that's going to kill your wholesale deal, you never got the right price to begin with. Right. Yeah. And here's another thing, person, when like you go, okay, Rick, how do I bring this up? If they tell me three months later, I'm going to find out, is there a mortgage payment on the property? Yes or no. Are you paying utilities on the property? Are you paying to mow the lawn? Are you playing to, you know, clear the snow out of the driveway? Are you shoveling the roof? Is somebody painting a house or anything like that? Once I know that, if I know there's a mortgage and they're paying utilities, I'm like, okay, so how much is the mortgage? Okay, $1,500 a month plus utilities, a lawn guy, $2,000. That's three months, probably take you four months. That's $8,000. What if I could show you a way where you can save that $8,000? Is that something you're interested in talking to me about? And remember, when you're talking to them on the phone, don't tell them everything over the phone because they're just going to spit it back to the lawyer and cut you out. Mm -hmm. Just go, hey, listen, I'm pretty sure I have a way to get this done. But what I need to do is evaluate the house. How can I take a look at the house and evaluate it? So either you're going by, you're sending somebody by or whatever it is. And then underwrite the property, take a look at it, and then call her back. And then the idea is try to put an agreement together before like the realtor gets knee deep into it. Probate, remember probates is what is an umbrella that encompasses everything. Um, checking accounts, savings accounts, stocks and bonds, um, 
cars, automobiles, RVs, boats, and real estate. Okay. So a probate's open to solve all those problems. All of them get dissolved independently. None of them are tied together very rarely. You're just a real estate person. That's it. By the way, I bought plenty of cars and boats in probates, but stay away from it. It's a nightmare. It's like a pain in the butt. Same thing. You got to go through the same process. You got to have a judge approved so you can get the title signed over. And they actually have to change the title and then they can decide to sell it from there. Um, but remember, all you need is to get it sold before the probate's over. The attorney, once you have an agreement, you have to have the agreement first. And then you go to your seller and say, ask, and I usually work with a probate attorney or a title company to give me the correct language in your state and your county saying, I need authorization to liquidate this asset. And the attorney's like, no, no, I really don't want to do that. Man, I didn't ask if you wanted to do it, like do it. If your seller gives them a directive to do it, the attorney has to obligate and follow through on it. Otherwise they risk possibly being disbarred or being um, reprimanded. That's it. I, and by the way, I have attorneys fight this me all the time in Florida. My God, you can't do that. They, you can. Would you like to talk to my attorney? He'll walk you step by step how to do it. And we'll even give them case law. We'll give them, uh, we'll give them like 30 probates. Hey, I have a whole sheet of everyone I've done it. If you want to look up their docket, you can just replace the name on it. It's the same. You just need to, you need to write um, the motion and then the, uh, the judge has to sign off of it. Once he signs off on it, he can do it. And the thing is, I got once everyone to understand this. When it goes through probate, in a traditional probate, if if John Doe passes away, and say Sally Doe's the PR, and she's she wants to take title of the property and sell it, if the probate goes all the way through, they switch the deed from John Doe to Sally Doe. Then Sally Doe sells it traditionally. Okay, the way you're doing probate is basically you're working through the John Doe estate. And then the judge signs off on the liquidation and you go to the title company and they do the, um, they do the deed change from John Doe to Sally, whatever they do it right there. Nobody else sees it. It goes on record after you buy it. And that gives you a huge competitive advantage in wholesaling because if Sally Doe gets it in her name, then takes it to market, she's going to have 19 realtors beating her door down to get her top dollar for it that's where you're going to get lost in the shuffle because now they're not as urgent to sell it because they want to sell it for top dollar. They don't care about the repairs and you know, the three or four months have gone by and you've missed your opportunity to say, Mr. Seller, I can save you eight to 10 grand by working with me. And that's it. I always try to tell people, listen, even if we started now while we're doing the paperwork, we, we can get everything figured out. I can get the payoff. You'll know exactly what you're getting. And person, people love to make plans for their money. So if someone's netting like $150,000 on a probate, like they like to mentally spend that money. You ever mentally spend money? It's fun. It's a lot of fun. You're like, oh my God, I can get locked in and ready now. I go, absolutely. Yes, you can do it now. So some people, the reality is probate's tough. I look for people who want to make an emotional decision, but they have to back it up with logic a little bit too. And that's where we just got to kind of like walk them through. So when they say, hey, I got to wait, it's your job to open the window to opportunity and understand every now and then you're going to get your butt kicked by a, a lawyer. Just understanding they feel like you're trying to sabotage their client by doing, you're not, you're just trying to buy the property. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to remember. Awesome. 
Great. Thank you so much. Sorry. I took up. Okay. The no, that's good. That's awesome. That's why I do this on Monday night. So, okay. Um, let me pull up some questions here, guys. If, uh, you want to hop on a one-on-one, -on -one, the uh, link is on the top. Um, actually I'll put it up here right now. Um, and remember, I stay on here as long as we can answer questions and help people out. So anything with uh, wholesaling, I am open to talking to you guys about. Um, Steve, Steve says, some lawyers steal those deals. Just give me a bit more than you do. I've actually had, in the last two years, I've had two of these deals stolen by realtors. And one is in the process of having a hearing for it. Um, I didn't report it. I don't do that. But I believe... Um, the seller reported it and the seller's pissed. So, um, awesome. What's up, Josh? How you doing, man? Um, so if you guys want to learn how to, uh, somebody's asking about downloading contracts. If you see on the bottom here, freewholesaling.com. If you hop over there, um, there's all the contracts you need for right there and, um, it will help you out with that. So, um, let's see what else. Um, that's a good one. Okay. What's up KG? Um, I'm working with a seller who wants to put, wants to sell multiple prop properties. Do I put all the properties in a contract? So if they're single family homes, you're probably better off writing individual contracts, but sometimes you just have to write. Sometimes they want you to include both just understanding typically when you get to the closing, you might have to separate out the contracts, but um, here's a little tip with you. If it's more than like four, four property, uh, sorry. If it's more than four properties, instead of trying to take down four more properties, especially if you're not experienced in doing this, ask them for the most tired, beaten, vacant property and see if you can strike a deal on that one. Because if you can't strike a deal on that one property, how are you going to put all four together? So, um, in an ideal word, ideal world, put them on each individual contract, unless it's a multifamily, anything like that. For simplicity, I've had some sellers want to put it all on one contract, but I promise you when you get to the closing table, they're going to require separate contracts because there'll be separate um, title policies and everything else out with it. So good question, man. Okay, guys, uh, let's see. What's up, Abe? Rick, you are a top G. Grateful I caught this. Your live sales wisdom is elite. Hoping to learn a lot from you guys. It is, um, it's so huge. Like it's, I can't tell you. If you could just take some of these tips. Tonight we went over the tactics I use to basically blow up my sales and wholesaling. And that's getting people under contract. And I'm not, we don't use some use slick car sales tr tricks or anything like that. If you want to learn how to do it, go head to toe, go to over to freewholesaling.com and then check out this video and rewind it. So, Van, you there? Hey, Mr. Rick. How, how you, you doing, doing today? Man? Good, man. How are you? I am kind of giddy. I'm in the process of doing my first subject to existing mortgage, and okay. I don't know how to actually do it. <laughs> okay. Like I got the opportunity to do it. I just, I don't know how to actually write it up. Do I just write the terms of the loan on the, well, let me ask you this. What's, uh, what's the story behind the deal? Like, tell me how you got it. And... Oh, okay. So it's on this. It's in the same neighborhood as I lived in. It is a pretty, it's a very nice neighborhood. Four okay. bedroom, two baths. 
a swimming pool in the back. Um, I can send you a link for Google Photos if you want. If you want to look at it. No, no, no. I don't want it. I'm just trying to find out. So, did you did you first try to do um, do a traditional wholesale and it didn't work out, and then you reverted back to creative? Um, I just thought we could just jump to creative because the pricing price is above Zestimate price. But okay. that Zestimate price was before the remodeling kind of thing. Like it was a mess. Like on Zillow, it it was a mess. Okay. And they bought it at like one ninety eight. They put sixty thousand okay. dollars into it, and they just um they just want to break even on this and get out of it. Now it's been like four years for them. Okay. And what's your plan to do with it? Um, I, at first I thought I was going to wholesale it at first, but I tried to look at the comps in the area and they're pretty high, but it's all weird in my area. A lot of people are trying to sell these old homes in high appreciating areas, but without uh -huh. any upgrades, like 100 power amps, um, okay. no upgraded plumbing or anything like that. They just sell it as is. And so, so tell me about the deal. How much are you putting down? Um, right now, I, the purchase price would be. Two sixty-five. Okay. Um, I'm trying to just sell it at two seventy, two seventy or two seventy-five. Um, the comps are running around three ten, like fully updated. Okay. And for the repairs, both bathrooms need about ten k each. That's the only thing they didn't do. He just wants to get out okay. of it because he he got hurt dirt while. So, doing renovations okay so what are the monthly payments on it uh 1100 and what's the rental rate on that one um 2200 wow okay yeah i know it's crazy <laughs> are you giving him any money up front no i haven't no 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 because okay. he didn't ask for it so i'm like oh, okay <laughs> okay so um so this is actually pretty easy so um what type of loan is it do you know um i'm, I'm gonna pop it up on on prop stream real quick sorry okay i think it's so, conventional though well you want it conventional the only thing you want to watch out for because <laughs> you know, here's where the gurus like get a little bit like th there are some rules and guidelines you have to follow on like sub subject two. so number one is he current on his loan uh yes okay it's a big one a lot of you guys don't know when people are not current on their loans or they do a loan modification you can have real challenges in the subject too. They have a whole different set of rights. Did you know any type of loan mod people enter into it? They guarantee the bank they're going to reside in that property to the day they die. And oh. if they do that, they, they break the rules and the whole loan can be called due. And that's a problem. So this morning, when you guys are dealing with somebody in loan mod, unless you read every line of those 52 pages they signed, 50 plus, you could be violating the terms by buying that property. Okay. Um, the other one is if they're behind on payments, they have certain types of rights to protect them because it's considered a distressed property. You got to see what the rules are in your state. In the state of Florida, I have to give them three days when they sign a contract. And then I have to give them complete disclosure of what I'm doing with the property. If I don't, they can come back and take the property from me. The third one is guys, if it's an FHA loan, I'm not a lawyer, but check with a lawyer. Um, usually within the first, I think, two, if not three years, um, they have to reside in the property before they could even do a subject to. 
So if somebody just brought a property three months ago with a tr traditional FHA, by you doing a subject two, you could be actually breaking the mortgage, which basically wipes the whole deal out. So it doesn't sound like you're in any of those. So the, the quick question is, how do you take this down? Honestly, you can just take a simple purchase and sales agreement. The easiest ones I find are the ones approved in your state. So which state are you in? Uh, Louisiana. Okay. So if you pull up a, uh, a typical realtor's contract, there is a line on there. It says subject to amount. Okay. That's basically like you taking over the loan. Same thing. Okay. So if I'm buying a property for 200,000 and I'm taking over $180,000 mortgage, that's the $180,000. Okay. The thing is your purchase price has got to be very similar to what the loan amount is in total. So the only thing that you have to do before you close on this property is get him. Um, do you have a title company you work with? Uh, yes. Okay. They were incompetent on my last one and somebody got fired. Okay. So one. get, get a letter of authorization so you can verify all the terms to the loan and find out what the payoff is. Okay. So your payoff, maybe plus the closing cost, that's the purchase price you're putting on that contract. Because if he's not getting any, you still got, you're still going to have some closing costs. You owe it to the title company. Okay. Um, and then you got to make sure that that mortgage is all paid up and like you find out what the balance is and find out how, how old is the loan? Um, it's 2018. So four, four years. Yeah. So the cool thing is after about seven or eight years, uh, much more money goes to principal and it does interest. So if you decide to keep it, you can go with that. Here's going to be the challenge when you go this. And, and I'm, I do creative financing. It's just the pain in the butt part is you don't traditionally need to close it with your title company. Most title companies, if you think they freak out over an assignment of contract, wait till you go with subject to. Oh. So talk to your title company. Most title companies cannot write a um, title policy because you're not satisfying the original loan. Now, they can write a title policy and um, exempt that mortgage. But honestly, it's not really, what's the point of getting title then, right? Especially if you're not paying any money. So you can either find a confident paralegal or an attorney to help you guide through the paperwork. Or if your title company is comfortable doing it, they're going to tell you up front. The reality is you're not really, um, they can't sell you a title policy. They struggle on how they're going to charge you fees and stuff. So I'm not a lawyer. I'm not telling you how to take title because that's not my ballpark. But if you're not paying them anything, um, you're not really at a huge amount of risk here. Okay. So I would just verify the type of loan, make sure you're not breaking any agreements, making sure that they didn't sign a loan mod or anything like that. And the reality is if you want to switch the property into a trust, into an LLC or anything like that, you technically don't even need a title company to do this. Cause what, what do you, other than him signing the deed over and you taking the payment, what else needs to be done? Um, re renovations for the two bathrooms. That, that's on you if you want to do yeah. that. That has nothing to do with him on that. So just boy, this sounds way more complicated. Yeah. So what what's your exit strategy with this? I was gonna, gonna try to wholesale it to subject to to somebody else, but now it's just holy cow. <laughs> okay. That was gonna be. How much do you think this. you're gonna have to spend on those bathrooms? Um, he estimates fifteen grand, but he already did all the. He already replaced the toilets. He replaced the the bath. Um that faucets and shower head and the sink. It's just cosmetic work. I don't know why, why he thinks why it's don't you just, Why don't you sell it to somebody who wants to do all that work for you? 
Yes. That's, oh, yes. I'm gonna, Don't I'm do the work, to... dude, because bathrooms like 50 grand is a lot to spend on a bathroom. That's insane. But... Oh, 15 grand. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would sell it as an opportunity for somebody. How, how do I write a contract for that? Just well, to say you got to write. You got to write the first contract. I already kind of told you how to yeah. do it. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. The the second contract is just a, they would do a standard purchase and sales agreement, and you sell it as is with the repairs. So say if the property's worth three ten, maybe you can sell it for like two eighty nine without a realtor, without you doing the repairs. That would get you. Uh, What's that? 15, 20 K, something like that. You can target that without you putting any money out of your pocket. You might have to pay some of the closing costs just to take possession of it. Here's the other thing is. You, I mean, you can sell this thing owner financing all day long. Like it's, it's easy. Any so chance, it's, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm listening. Any, any chance you would, um, I could do a JV with your disposition team and they could like show me how to do this. Because this is way beyond what I thought it was going to well, be. Well, yeah, here's the challenge is because I'm not, you have a lot of options with doing this. Okay. Um, I tell you what, do me a favor. Um, send me uh, an email to support at Flip with Rick. Okay. And just put your name in the title. And uh, I got a meeting tomorrow with everybody on my dispositions teams and we'll talk about it. But what you need to do is get, at least get the contract set up and get the payoff from the title company. Just work on that tomorrow. Okay, I'll call them. Yes. Do that. And then like, but the problem is you got to verify values because with values kind of all over the board right now, yeah. Yeah. you know, if it drops down to like 280, you just, I mean, you got to sell or finance deal, but um, what state did you say? It's in Louisiana, right? Yes. Okay. And you're telling me it's just the bathroom that needs to be done, right? Yeah. He's doing all the, he's fixing the swimming pool right now, the roof and other okay. stuff right now to make it to- Do me a favor. They yes. just put a link in the photos. And when I have my meeting um, tomorrow, I got to sit with a whole team on an entire call and I'll just go over it with them um, right there. And leave okay, me your cool. uh, contact phone number, okay? Yes, thank you. But get the contract going and get the payoff from the title company. That's going to take probably a day or two. Okay, um, the contract right days. now, I, he can't sign it right now because he's at a wedding. Okay. And he, he'll be back next week. Okay. So, so then just get him to sign the authorization if you can. Because it's gonna, it, they got to send it to the bank, and it can take like three to seven days to get that back. Okay, um, he can sign it electronically. The authorization for the contract. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Yes. Okay, you're gonna need you're gonna need the name of the bank and the loan number and where to fax it to, which is usually gonna be somewhere on the back of his mortgage statement. Okay. And then when you do that, when he gets it back, you can do everything at once. But send me that email and I'll I'll help you out best I can with it, okay? If it okay, makes sense, for... I'll partner up with you. If not, I'll tell you how to do it, okay? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, man, awesome. See you, man. Avon, you there? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Rick. How you doing? I'm good. How have you been? Good, good. What's going on? What can I help you out with? Cool. Well, I'm a little bit of an... Well, a learning situation, I guess. Um, I was doing some marketing and I ran across a motivated seller. Okay. However, he wants a little bit too much for me to wholesale. And um, I was talking to one of the people on one of your lives a few days ago, and he said that I should talk to a realtor about getting some, like a referral fee. Yeah. Is, is there, there is there any issues with the property? Uh, it's in a remodel. So he's doing, he's changing it from a 
four bedroom, one bath to a three bedroom, two bath. Okay. However, he wants to sell it quickly because he already has another house in another state. So he wants to hurry up. But even that doesn't seem for him to drop the price enough to wholesale it. Yeah. However, no. when I reached out to real realtors, I got swamped. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out how to handle. Well, part of the realtors is this. whenever you call a realtor with a fresh lead, they'll bury you. Like they'll they call did. you 50 times. Yeah. Um, so the best way to do it is try to find a realtor before you like work these deals so you can see who's authentic and not. Because the mm -hmm. only way you can tell if a realtor is good is time. Like I burned through so many. That's <laughs> why that's why I own my own brokerage. And even then I got my own issues with it. So I would just find someone that will work with you and then um, ask for more than you deserve and don't like be scared to ask for it. So the do you know how a realtor can compensate you if um, you get them a listing? Uh Kind not really. Okay. So in theory, they legally can't pay you. They can't pay you on a HUD. That's like highly, highly illegal. Okay. Okay. But outside the HUD, everything's fair game. Uh, realtors get an amnesia too. Um, so <laughs> I used to have a full-time employee and her job was just to chase down the realtors to collect our marketing fees. Because if you didn't get paid the day of, uh, of the closing of the realtor, the money was already spent. Okay. So typically what you can ask for the most you'll ever get on a good listing is a third of the commission. And before I have a lawyer or some state authority to run me over, I'm just giving you a math equation. Mm -hmm. So if a realtor collected $10,000 in commissions, I feel like you deserve a third of that because without you, they wouldn't have got a dime. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they would get like 6,500, whatever it is, 6,600, and you would get 3,300. No, they can't pay you as a commission. They can't pay you on the HUD, but they can pay you a marketing fee. That's it. Okay. The mm -hmm. least I would ever accept from a realtor is 25%. So okay. I go from 35 to 25, depending. Uh, a lot of it depends on volume, like how good they are and stuff like that. So ask for a third up front and don't take anything less than 25%. Okay. And by the way, you can have, if you can have them sign an agreement, um, you can have them sign like a, it's not a JV agreement, um, but you can just type up a simple um, referral fee, marketing fee, okay. and you can put the client's name and the address and you can say, listen, this lead derived from me. Um, there's a marketing fee and you can estimate it based on what she's going to list it for. And mm -hmm. once they sign it, if they sell that property and they don't pay you, you can actually sue the broker. And not only will you win that, you'll get damages as well, too. I've done it twice. Okay. That's what I was about to ask. So that's what you like. All realtors say yes. But like the good ones understand, they go, man, if she'll give me a deal every now and then, they go, listen, I'm going to call you every day. But when you get it, you need to get the property sold. It's a challenging mm -hmm. market and ask for a third. I'm like, I, so many people, I that like, some people accept like dinner or a lunch. I'm like, are you nuts? Like <laughs> it's really valuable. There's a lot of struggling realtors out there. So um, that's the minimum I would expect. And I put it back towards my marketing budget or I just pay my employees. I, I just let them have the money and do it from there. So ask for a third, but nothing less than 25%. And do not blame me on this, but I'm just telling you that is the numbers I negotiate. This 10 to 15% is like BS. Like don't like that's ridiculous. It's a yeah. lot of work to get these people. And if you can find something, I can help them out. 
mm-hmm. they, they need to share in the love with them. And th- here's what I tell you. Well, I can't pay you. Like it's not, you're, you don't have a license. I'm like, Hey, I got a marketing company. Why don't you just pay me a marketing fee? And they're like, oh, oh, I haven't uh, got, I haven't really oh, gotten that. A lot of people are thirsty and I've gotten like 35% then they've, or like they've said, at least in their initial. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I, you know, I got okay. one friend, he gets half, but it's like, my, but I own my own brokerage. So like I, I have a lot more incentives I can do in-house. But before I did that, I'd ask for a third. Everyone's like, man, he's so greedy. I'm like, man, I spend, I would spend 10000 10, $15,000 a month when I was really at my peak. And I'm yeah. like, I spend a lot of money. Like, I'm not even making that much money off of this deal. Like, you wouldn't have got them. I go, I guarantee you when you get them, it's like a home run. They will sign if I show up with you. They will sign. you, But you got to get your job done. And that's mm-hmm. it. So if it's, remember, do what's best for your seller's interest, and it will come back to you full circle, I promise. Okay. So, so ask for a third. So and you can ask for 50%, but like, it, that's a tough one. I'm just going to be honest with you. So. Uh-huh. But remember, you're, you're asking for you're asking for a marketing fee. Yeah, I wrote that down. Okay, but you're not shopping it, so I'm not trying to work with multiple people. Just someone who I could trust the most. Yeah, it's more of a trust thing because it's like I got to be honest with you. Like to sue someone to do something like that, it's a pain in the butt. It's it, you're gonna yeah. have to spend money out of your pocket. So, um, ask them also who's your broker just to keep their attention that they know you mean business. Mm-hmm. And then I put the broker on the agreement too. I'm like, you want a copy for your broker? And then, so then what I will do is um, I'll give a copy to them and I'll give a copy to their broker. But um, if they don't pay you within 24 hours of the closing, you're in big, big trouble. It happens every time. Like it was so bad for a while. I had to hire a person and pay them 75 grand a year just to go to chase all these people down. We had hundreds of thousands of dollars in receivables. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. And they go like this, I'll get you on the next one. I'm like, so I wound up having, um, I think there was three of them under one broker. And I went to the broker. I go, listen, if you don't pay me, I'm just going to sue you all. And he's like, go ahead and try it. I'm like, okay. And I did it. And it took it took a year and a half. But I got, um, I got back twice the damages for everything they signed. So uh, – once you got to understand when a licensed professional signs an agreement like that and they completely cop out mm-hmm. and you can show like a HUD and everything like that, it, it like they're dead. Like it's really, the judge is like, this is really bad. So you got it. Just do that. Keep moving on. Find motivated sellers to work with to do wholesale deals. And that's, I mean, I, I consistently make a hundred. I, I was making a hundred grand plus a year, just referring these deals out. Mm-hmm. Like just, like, why? You're not going to accept my wholesaling deal. Like, I don't even blame you. Like, you're crazy if you did, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, if you look out for your seller's interest, then you you could just move on and find another motivated seller and find somebody to make 50, 60 grand from there, okay? All right. What else? Uh, that was really it, just because I was talking to someone today. Otherwise, I'm just trying to keep marketing up here in Washington. It's a little okay. rough. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, keep going. You're on the right path. Just get an agreement, find someone you can trust, and mm-hmm. swing for the fences, and then just go find a uh, motivated seller. Okay. All right. Thanks, Rick. Awesome. Okay, it's a great tip, guys. There's like if you're looking out for your seller's best interest, sometimes they just need to list a property. And if you guys are scared to say that, it's gonna come up anyway, so you might as well spit it out. So, what's up, Abe? You there, Abe? Going once, twice. 
Abe, you on this one? Okay, Victor, you're on. Hey, how you doing? I'm calling you, man. <laughs> What's going on? How much, man? Uh, you know what? I've been pretty fortunate on uh, pulling government lists out of state. Uh, so far, I've been getting getting a lot, um, getting a lot of emails back on government lists for code uh, code violations. So, cool. That's been working great. Um, so, uh, just two quick questions. Um, okay. One, just about a motivated seller. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'd like to see if I have a good gauge on whether he's motivated or not. But um, okay. uh, I talked to the seller. Um, he, he's a little, uh, I'd say he's probably like in his mid 60s, maybe early 70s. Um, okay. He said that he wanted to, uh, you know, move on with his life and get a new house, get a new place to live in. Um, but the house that I was, you know, thought, uh, that uh, I was, his property, uh, he said that he had about a couple offers, but he he didn't really tell me what, what the offers were. Um, I didn't actually ask, but okay. Um, he he seemed like he was motivated, um, but I don't know. Um, he didn't want. Okay, he he gave me his terms. Okay, so he said that he needed ninety days to leave the house. Okay. Right? Um, he he um. He didn't allow walkthroughs. That was the other thing. He didn't allow what? He didn't. He didn't want walkthroughs. What well, you got to do one. Someone's got to do one. Yeah, I, I told him. I said, you know, there's only like I can send someone, you know, to, yeah, you know, that'll, you know, to take photos, do a quick video, won't even be ten minutes. But uh, yeah. it sounded like he had a like a hoarding issue because he said that he didn't know if it was safe for people to go in. Okay. Well, okay. So what, what, what are his other terms? Um, oh, and then 133,000 was like his, <laughs> uh, that, that was his ask, his, his asking price. 130? Uh, 133. And what, what's the, uh, ARV on a property like that? Uh, ARV in that particular area, uh, was about, <laughs> about 130, 140. Yeah. So if it's a hoarder property, the problem is you have this classic situation where the property is motivated, but the seller is not, and it's yeah. going to be a bit of a challenge. So if you already have issues where he doesn't want people to look at it, there's no property in America. Someone's going to buy just sight unseen unless you're buying it for like a dollar. Like even my, I, I bought a property once for $6,000. I said, listen, I still have to have my guy look at it. Like, so it's just, it's impossible. So you can give them like, have you ever bought a car without test driving? Give them that theory. But honestly, at 130, if you even think it's a slight hoarder thing like that, you're, you're going to have no idea if this is a deal until someone puts some eyes on it. So unfortunately, most hoarder houses are well north of $50,000 in repairs, even on small houses. So it's got to like me. Listen, I'm here to tell you, I hate hoarders houses worse than any of them. There's a reason those houses get to those because their life gets so out of control. They just, they give up, but then they're like, Oh, but I need today's prices. I'm like, Porter's houses. You put 50 grand in, it doesn't even go to cosmetic. It goes to like, they got to rip out all the drywall, get rid of all the, the animals, the bugs. It's really bad. 
Um, I'm dealing with two of them right now. Same thing. Just crazy price expectations. It's like, and um, the sellers don't like them because they're nasty. And the thing with the hoarder's house, when they take all the stuff out, which by the way, can cost you five to $10,000. If you can find someone that wants to deal yeah. with that crap, yeah. it looks 50 times worse when you take the stuff out of it. So I'm just here to guys, when you, when you have a hoarder, like you think it is, and they're unrealistic, don't like spend a lot of energy. But understanding they will be there in two to three years with the same problem, much worse. All you do is try to build a relationship with them. Um, but hoarders, I'm here to tell you, like I'm not picking on people with like mental challenges, but people hoarding, it's, it's more of a mental disease. They have a lot of psychological problems and they have yeah. to hold on to things and it's hard. So our yeah. toughest properties by far are hoarder properties. And then we rarely can get a discount deep enough to entice a buyer to pay for it because they're like, oh, my gotcha. God, it's a hoarder property. So yeah, I wouldn't kill yourself on it, man. I'm just I, you know, and I, you, I know which I, way it's going. I just told him, I said, hey, look, at, uh, if anything changes, just you know, give me a call. That's it. So that's what I would call a motivated property. And for that reason, I would leave it in your CRM and just constantly follow up. I'm not going to follow up every week, but probably once every two or three months, I'm going to reach out to him and go, hey. And then those are the type of people that just want to have a conversation with someone because they're holding on to material garbage to replace yeah. something in their life they feel like is missing. So if you, at least you can make their life a little bit brighter, maybe one day, usually, so the only hoarders that I've had success is I ask them, do you have a family member we can call and bring in to help you out? Once the family member goes, looks at that property, they're like, dude, sell it now. And then I call you back and they go, Hey, Victor, can you buy my brother's house? We've got a lot of issues. I got to deal with them. I got to get them out of this house. That's it. That's all you got to do, man. That's just, just take your time with it. Okay. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, and second question, just real quick. Um, okay. I know you'd mentioned that you'd, uh, that, uh, your wife, uh, you'd included your wife in your business. How, how did, how did that work? Like, how did, how did you do that? Um, so full disclosure, she's not in here. I can tell you. Um, so my wife, uh, she was a very passionate, um, school teacher. She taught everything from kindergarten to high school. And, uh, to be honest, she loved it. Um, but the, between you and me, the pay was so terrible and she kept, they kept firing the principals like a corporate job. Um, they were just putting a lot of stress on her. I remember her saying, I was making very good money at the time. And she said, uh, she's like, I'm not sure I can take this much more. I'm like, well, I go, do you ever want to work with me? She's like, well, what would I do? I go, well, to be honest with you, I did not explore that conversation deep enough. She just jumped into the business. And, um, the problem is when someone leaves like a career, um, like if you've ever left one career to go to another one, it's weird because you're like used to a daily routine and they lose it, especially if they have a relationship with kids. So um, she helped me with um, dispositions. And at the time we had to run a property management company, which was a huge mistake on my part. So she was managing like 32 properties of mine and then helping me with all the seller follow-ups. And it was just me and her. And uh, to be honest, I drove her nuts. So, we're all pretty bad at um, when you work with family, you don't give them a lot of direction. It's, it was a hundred percent my fault. So uh, we had some problems the first few years we did it because it was just like, I was ordering her around a lot. And uh, you guys, know, if you're married, it's usually the other way around. <laughs> so uh, it, it changed yes. the dynamic and the relationships. Exactly. 
And then what happened is after a few years went by, I had to take her out of the business and sit her down. And I said, like, what do you really want to do? And I remember her like, I, you finally, you asked me that question. And she's like, listen, um, I don't mind selling the properties. I kind of enjoy it. I like working with the sellers. And if I could just concentrate on that, I'd be happy. I'm like, okay. So I made her a jack of all trades and I didn't train her. And um, I drove her crazy. And uh, I'm a pain in the ass to work with. So ask my son. And I'm very high demanding and I'm high energy and I run around with paperwork and I'm always talking to people. So if you're going to bring a family member and sit down, tell them what you ideally need and ask them what they want to do, because they'll do what you need for a while. But after a while, they're going to burn out. And they're like, this isn't very fulfilling to me. And that's what. Um, so I had to take her out of the business. I hired some other people and then I brought her back into business. And then once we set her roles, like she was accountable for one thing and she knew exactly what to do. And we cut out all the crap. So I had her doing like nine jobs. It was terrible. Property management, customer follow-up. She was the transaction coordinator. And um, she's just like, I'm going to lose my mind. Like she goes, this is crazy what you got going on here. I'm like, I know. I go, we could do it. We could do it. I go, come on, you and me. And uh, she just, so like now she's very happy what she does. So now she kind of, um, she oversees um, the financials of the company and helps report to the, uh, between bookkeeping and the CPA, which is a huge job. And then she still does dispositions on our retail and hotel properties. Um, the crappy junkie properties, we just sell it all in house here. Because it takes wholesalers to have that conversation. Realtors are terrible at it. And she, she hates selling the crappy properties, you know, like the hoarder houses. Yeah. Yeah. I got, yeah, I got, so, but she'll get that extra 30, 40 grand on all her retail stuff because she takes the time to do it. So we looked at it by leaving her in that position. We made hundreds of thousands of dollars extra for the company and it was a good fit and she was happy. Plus, she liked her time in between and it worked out really well. So, uh, the key is, ask, if you're going to bring a family member, ask them, if you were to work in my company, what do you think, what would you ideally like to do? What is your strongest suit? And just ask them. So I had my wife answering phones and it was a, it was a disaster because she, she didn't want to qualify anyone. She just wanted to give everyone. She just, she goes, well, here's 83 people that want to sell their house. I'm like, yeah, but only 85 called in. That's impossible. And so she just is like, no, I just want to make sure, you know, you get everybody in front of you. The reality is 85 leads, probably 10 or 15 of them like are worth talking to. And I'm like, do you ever tell no to anyone? So my wife's like a big yes person. So it's like, she's like, I don't like the confrontation of disqualifying people. I'm like, okay, done. So I moved on. Does that help? The yeah, problem is we put people in positions and we don't ask them what they want. And then you want like two years later, they're miserable. Anybody can do anything for a year. Like we all have the capacity of it. Like, do you want to do it? And that's just like, I don't, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm like, oh God. So it was a painful conversation. Um, and honestly, it caused a lot of stress in our relationship and I had to fix it. So be careful when you bring your spouses. It seems like the perfect fit, but if they're not on board and they're not fully bought into it, you're going to have a problem. And like, I'm the person that I do a lot of hustling the family. It's always how it's been. And she's just different i'm okay with it like i i sometimes opposites marry to keep you balanced right if we both ran recklessly it would be terrible absolutely so she keeps me even keel even when um like stuff gets out of control and like she'll talk me off of a ledge when i get upset about something and we're happy with it so 26 years so i screwed it up for about two years but we survived so
Then we, you know, we had awesome. that. He threw kids in there, Gosh. threw everything else in there. Plus, I've the I've moved twelve times with her, so she gets like right, how Jesus. But uh, that's that's just God. a real thing, man. So <laughs> I'm always upgrading, man. I don't care. So. My God. Okay, well, use my playbook and just make sure you ask. That's the key. That would have saved me a lot of time and energy, but I didn't. I just, and she's a trooper. She just did it. So it is what it is. So awesome. Thank you, you sir. You, think, you thinking about implementing some of that or? Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, uh, um, yeah, she, she's, she's, she's starting to show some, you know, interest in the, in the whole okay. business of, of it. Just so make sure, kind of yeah, just make sure you ask her before you throw it in. Okay. Because you're, you're, you know, sometimes there's significant others, like they'll, they'll do anything to help you out. And then they get into it. Like, I don't know how to tell you this director, but like, I hate, I hate every minute of this. And listen, wholesaling isn't for everybody. It's, it's, it's a tough job. And so my wife goes, man, it's brutal what you do. I don't know how you do it. I'm like, you'll get respect in the beginning, but then after a while she's like, man, I don't want to keep doing this. So keep that in mind. Okay. I think I heard you mention that she had a real, like a license, real estate license. At some yeah. Point. One of the first things she did is we got her license so we could uh, run the properties through our own agency. Got it. Okay. And then, um, okay. yeah, but then we went out, we recruited a bunch of agents because she had to run that part of it. And then the whole, it was just too much. So got she it. stays on like the nice properties, everything like that. And it works out really, really well now. So and then she sells like multi-million dollar properties all the time. And she loves dealing with that type of clientele. I mean, you deal with like three to $4 million homes. And then we deal with like $30,000, like quarter houses. It's like, it's tough, very yeah. tough to wear those different hats to do that because the hoarder person's a thousand times worse. I don't know. I mean, the high end people, they're pretty bad, dude. I see the stuff she has to go through. It's like a lot of handholding, man, a lot of temper tantrums and, mm. You know, it is what it is. So we'll see. Gotcha. Well, good All luck right. with that. Just talk to her, okay? Awesome. We'll do, sir. Thank you. Okay. See you later. Xavier, are you there? I can't hear you, man. You're muted. Me now. There you go. I hear you, man. What's going on? It's going good. So uh, I'm more so, I'm just got a quick question. So I'm in college. Okay. And I'm Let's to go, man. Out. I got some Monday night football tonight, man. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what the best list is to go after because I don't have a car right now, so I can't drive for dollars. I can't. Okay. I used to back home when – and I've I got been it. watching so – what, what, what market you looking in? Uh, really uh, – You don't have to oh, tell me. You can tell me state. Yeah, I'm in Michigan. So I seen okay. – I'm from Kalamazoo. I think I seen you say you did some work down there or some business. Thomas, you're you're going to get me in trouble, man. Cause I dude, let me tell you, I got all my friends calling me from Michigan to go. Can you shut <laughs> up about Michigan? I go, bro, I'm not dude, trying to have you. No, I'm just telling you, man. Like <laughs> I, I'm not, listen, I'm just going to tell you how it is. I love Michigan, yeah. man. I, I think right, it's, yeah. other than your weather in the, in the winter. Yeah. I think it's a really cool state. Exactly. Um, but man, it's, if I told you how many people are having success in Michigan, you wouldn't even believe me. So, um, right, and I know it's real because look, I was like back when I just graduated high school. Yeah. I was like I was every day I was meeting with realtors because I can't really find anybody who yeah. like, has a house for sale without a realtor. So I know it's yeah. it's possible, but I just didn't know the steps to really take. So, okay, so driving for dollars is kind of out of it. I will tell you there is a. Um, 
if you want to check it out on let me put it on here okay i got my notes right here too so okay on my uh, tablet yeah. okay let me put it up here where is All it right. um on zackdata.com if you check it out on batch actually zach just recorded um he did a video last week on uh, batch 3.0 yeah, I, I was on there. I was on there. I, I dude, they have a virtual driving for dollars app. Okay. Okay. I've already talked to three people that got a deal off it. I'm like, and okay. I'm actually scheduled to do an interview and they're going to walk me step by step how they did it with the property. And I go, man, if that worked, that would be amazing. I've never, we haven't done it in our business. I think it's yeah. a, it's a cool idea, but the problem is how old are the pictures? How relevant is it? Right. You know, we all have all those questions, so we don't want to waste our time and money doing that. Exactly. I would keep an eye on that. I haven't yeah. validated it, but I've gotten very good feedback on it. Exactly. Um, other than that, if you can get any of the um, code violations, um, pre-foreclosures are going to be big coming up here in Michigan, but I still think you got a few months away from that, probably closer to the end of the year. Right. Um, and then anything you can do with probates, man, they are dynamite. Um your probates and evictions. And by the way, I believe on the probates and the eviction, I know in the evictions, they put the landlord's phone number right below his signature. Right. I yeah. pulled these myself. Exactly. Like you, don't have, you don't have to skip trace them. You just get the evictions list. Yeah. So, so any type of government list, your code violations, any type of foreclosures and probates would be my top three with hands tied and then if you want to attack the tax delinquency that list is a bit more of a pain in the ass because you got to sort a lot of information out on it exactly but you need to find the highest motivation people you can reach out to a phone so you don't have to get in the car yeah. and then just figure it out from there because i was watching but, a video on zach he said he stayed in his dorm for five hours every day just uh, he cold coughing, everything it's it shouldn't be too hard because i like making money so you know yeah I mean, I uh he uh he went to me he says i got this idea because i'm going to recruit my entire um, wing of my dorm to cold call i go what motivates me he goes cash man if you can get these guys cash by friday and uh i remember and he goes he goes dad grab 10 grand and come up here i go for what he goes wait we got five deals i gotta pay these guys i got up there man dude these kids had so many phones going <laughs> they had mojo dialers going up and they were just like I show up with 10 grand. They're like, man, this, he goes, man, he goes, dude, you guys are the bomb. I was just like, and now a lot of the guys are graduating. Zach graduated much earlier than them. They're like, man, we just want to like come work for you. I'm just like, but Zach was in the right place at the right time. And he's just like, you know, I just think it's like, you know, he wanted to get the whole college experience, but uh, yeah, that's what I I'm swear doing. to God, man, he did. If I told you how many deals he did in college, I remember him just calling me one day. He's like, I'm not even sure what I'm in college for. I'm like, I told you this going into it. But guys, he went through college very fast. The whole thing was paid for. That's so if you look at it like, like kind of like high school, middle school, it can't hurt you. Yeah. Just don't go out and sign these ridiculous loans. It's a waste of your money. See, where I'm but, at, Michigan, we got free schooling. So I was like, why not go and just yeah. get the opportunity to get the college? Yeah, he, got, he got his. So if you can get your AA before you graduate high school, it's paid for. So it's yeah. like, you just save yourself probably 10 or 15 grand just in like junior college status. This stuff ain't cheap anymore. So uh, honestly, I find young people are the most highly motivated people to make phone calls. And yeah. like young kids, they just, 
they're not formally trained, but a lot of them have the gift of gab. And boy, did he have it there, man. These guys, these guys were really good. And they're just right. like ripping through the phones. And then once a month, I go up there and I'd pay them all. And he's just like, I begged him to stay up in college. He's like, I don't need to do it. He came home, finished his last semester online and did wholesaling full time. And uh, he realized the opportunity cost. He goes, if I take two more years of college, that's going to cost me at least 150 grand a year. That's $300,000. Plus the cost of the education. I'm like, he goes, it's going to be like a half million dollar difference when I'm said and done. I'm like, do what you need to do. So a lot of kids right now are doing the way these universities set up. You can do a lot of the stuff online right now, like, and get the exact same credentials if you went to the physical school. So who cares? So if you're in high school right now, guys, I'm just telling you, find out how you can get your AA degree. Cause if you qualify and you get the right grades, it's paid for then if you want to go to a traditional college, you could bang it out in two years, maybe a year and a half with summer school and just get it done. And then you're not going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Okay. But I'm telling you, unless you're going for a discipline like law, medical or engineering, you don't need a degree. I think you're a fool going to college. And you're talking about a guy who went to college. Like it's not going to 70 per six, 76 percent of employers say they don't give a crap if you have a degree or not. All right. Colleges are there to train good employees to pay taxes. So exactly. if you don't subscribe to that, don't go. So exactly. if I had to do everything all over, I would have never gone. But like I'm an old man. I was back in the day. That's the only thought was our option now. Yeah. I mean, you got people taking college degrees sitting at home in their pajamas. Like there's no meaning right. to it anymore. Who cares? Exactly. Stupid, man. I, I tell you what. Anybody in my company, I dude, if you give me your uh, your prerequisites to colleges, I just I, I don't care. I could care less. It doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. I thought I, I, I thought college, other than the football and the atmosphere, which I really enjoy, and I think you can make good friends and stuff. Yeah. I only learned a few things in college, and I'm not even gonna like say it. Like it was just I it was it was a stupid time in my life. And anyone who tells you these are the greatest years of your life, they're lying to you. Yeah, they're just getting your money out of you. If you want that to be the greatest parent <laughs> years of your life, you do it. I'll take from like 22 on and make them the greatest years of my life. Right. And I told my son over and over, do not college is not the greatest years of your life. It's fun. But like, listen, you're living on your parents' dime. You're probably abusing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. You're chasing girl. Like, who get like it is. Like you were young, dude. Listen, I didn't wake up in life till I was in my 30s. So how old are you? I'm 18. There you go, man. You got the entire world in front of you. You just have to take it. And listen, I'm not, if you want to go to college, go to college. I don't mind, but college is there to groom employees to cooperate and comply, period. Right. I can tell. So wholesaling is never about the smartest person. It's about the person who can outwork somebody the most. Yeah. And that's why it fits so well into it. I, I tell you, right, I am not the smartest guy. Right. My son, I'll tell you, he's significantly smarter than I am. I, he got it from his mother. I don't, I I'm just, I'm not a super smart guy. I'm a smart business street says guy, but if I took an IQ test, you would probably crush me. Right. Yeah. So the, if you think you get paid based on your IQ, mm -hmm. you're, you're only looking in the employee section of how this business works. Right. It's all about so, hustle. All about hustle. Yeah. But you know, they eventually don't have, like a lot of people, like I always tell people, if you can do two to three years in wholesaling, and get successful at it. Mm -hmm. You never got to work a day in your life again. Like it's easy. Like my son, um, you know, 22, like he's completely financially free period. 100%. Right. 
Right. Exactly. Lives on his own, has his own place, has his own cars, does whatever he wants. He's got more money than I had in my forties. Like, yeah. just like it's just, but he earned it. He did. Like you guys, he did a five year grind. He did it wise and I would have never sacrificed like that. That's just that wasn't in my DNA at the time. I didn't understand it, but oh. I didn't have guidance. Uh, my parents were like a different, <laughs> a different breed, man. Their job is just to kind of keep you alive. And now it's like I think people overparent. And so like age is no longer a requirement. I see, I see 16, 18 year olds making a ton of money and, um, dude, yeah. 18, I'd be super excited, man. Like yeah, that's you know, if you're in the right more. state, you're at right. Everything. Don't let anybody get in your way. The only person that can stop you is you period. Exactly. I'm just telling you. So I started my son at 17 and like he pushed hard and just kind of keep on doing it. I didn't wake up till I was 33. So I keep trying to pass it down to everybody. So the whole purpose I'm on here, guys, is to show you that you have so many options in life. Get a couple deals on your belt. Get that first hundred thousand dollars, and once you have a hundred grand sitting in a bank account somewhere, your options are wide open in life and what you can do. And that's how I did. I took ten grand here. I took five grand here. Here's my problem, Xavier: is I spent the money the first ten years I did this. I didn't learn how to keep it, and that's the big change you have to do. So first, you got to take the action to learn how to get the money and then you got to figure out the behavior on how to keep the money and you have to do a lot of things that your friends you have to do what your friends don't want to do which means you just got to be a little bit smarter about it so like instance i had a lot of friends that went out and bought like four years ago they all went out and bought teslas oh it's the greatest car you got to get one i'm like cars depreciate in value like i i've just i go i can't buy any more stupid cars i bought all the nice cars so I took that same amount of money and I bought a Tesla stock. So the $55,000 I was going to buy a Tesla, I would buy the stock. Five years later, the stock's worth six times what I paid for it. Guess what all my friends' Teslas are worth? 15, 20 grand now. They decrease. So it's like, honestly, I was the guy that bought those cars and now I look like everything. So all the money I produce from wholesaling goes into something that's going to pay me in the future. Right. Everything I do. So I just bought like another commercial building and it's all I do is collect assets that pay me to the point where it's like, I never really have to work a day in my life. Again, you start that at 18. So Zach owns a bunch of properties, all that, all his living costs are all covered by his properties. If he never worked a day in his life again, he would be completely covered. That's generational. Yeah. Cause in like 40 years, what do you think those properties will be worth kicking out cash? Will it be sick? Way more. Way Especially more. in Florida. So dude, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Like just, yeah. I would code violations. Any type of foreclosure and probates, and I would add the eviction list because I really like it in Michigan. And I'm sorry for all my Michigan fans. <laughs> I love you, but like, I you know I'm just going to tell the truth. Yeah. So, so it's up to me. Yeah. I would move up. I'd move up to Michigan in the summers. I like it up there. It's nice. You think I could put these online, like all of these online? You or? can try. You're going to get more resistance, but yeah, how do you overcome to... resistance, Xavier? You said uh, I'm used to being denied all the time. I'm keep going. Persistence. Oh, Overcome resistance okay. with persistence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So figure out how to do it, get it done, and you move on. And once you figure it out, then you can put it to bed and just keep marketing on it. But like you're dude, you're in a wonderful state, dude. Yeah. Michigan prices are only gonna go up. It's it's a nice area to live. You got some hard winter months, but that's about it. But your your summers and falls are freaking beautiful. Yeah, I think fall I'll be saying it's an affordable, it's an affordable state. And yeah. Exactly. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna get in the politics of your uh, of your governor, but that's a different story. 
Well, I don't want to hold you up, man. I appreciate it a lot, though. Okay, buddy, Xavier. Go get it, bud. Yeah, have a good night. Good talking to you, man. Okay. So, guys, do me a favor. Um, let me see if I missed anything here. Um, do me a favor. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel at Rick Ginn. I drop exclusive content that I do not share anywhere else. And only if you're a member here through a subscription do you get that. Also, uh, check out my son's channel, Zach Ginn. Um, his YouTube channel there and Zach will be on tomorrow at 5 PM Eastern. I appreciate you guys. And, uh, we'll see you real soon, man. Have a good one. Go out and get some deals.